Have you heard the good news? The Office of Personalized Learning is back with Inquiry Labs and Design Workshops. If you're interested in seeing personalized competency-based practices in real time and looking for opportunities to network and get support on your own learning journey, these in-person events are perfect for you. Visit personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov today to register for an inquiry lab or a design workshop near you. It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Beach, and today we are joined by one of our friends from Redesign, Sydney. Sydney, welcome back. You are not a stranger to our podcast, but just in case there's anyone who's just listening in for the first time, we'd love for you to introduce yourself and then we'll jump into the conversation. My name is Sydney Schaaf. I'm Managing Director at Redesign, and we are a design and capacity building organization that partners up with districts and states and schools that are working to essentially make schools work better for kids. We sort of focus our work on learner-centered education, and for us, a big part of that is is competency-based learning and personalized learning, and we sort of focus on the designs that make that possible. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be back. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you here today to talk about this tool that's going to be really helpful for a lot of our listeners out there, and it's called the Measuring PCBL Toolkit. So I want to start off by you sharing with us what is this toolkit and who specifically is it for? Well, let me start by thanking the Office of Personalized Learning for the opportunity to create this toolkit. Um, it's designed for practitioners. So if you're an educator working with young people, if you're an educational leader who's working in a school or a system that's trying to make learning more personalized for young people and more sort of outcome-driven or competency-based, this is for you. If you care about these two things, one, quality implementation of personalized competency-based learning, and two, continuous learning and improvement, figuring out how well things are working and not only improving practice at the individual level, but improving the model that you're implementing to support personalized competency-based learning. There were a lot of folks that whose ideas and contributions have helped shape the toolkit, but I want to also give a little special thank you to Melissa Slater and Vicki Kim, two of my colleagues who I had the opportunity to work with on this toolkit. I know we've had a chance to build other toolkits to support the work in South Carolina. Honestly, this is maybe the one I'm most excited about. I'm hoping that it meets a need in the field that I've seen that's that's really big. How do we how do we measure personalized competency-based learning? We've done our very best thinking and work to bring clarity around definition for what the actual inputs are, the practices that define personalized competency-based learning, and then define what are the things we would expect to see or what are the outcomes that we hope flow from those, those inputs or those practices. And so this toolkit is designed to sort of put a stake in the ground and say, this is what we think it is. And here's a practitioner-friendly set of tools and resources for implementing and studying the work. And so that's in a nutshell what this toolkit is about. Awesome. Awesome. There are so many tools and rubrics and methods that people use to measure you know, their effectiveness. What makes this particular toolkit different 
Such a great question. One of the lenses we bring to our design work at Redesign when we're building a resource for educators is to think about clarity for users and sort of user friendliness. Is this something I can pick up and put into practice right away? How, how complicated is it? How much background knowledge do I need? Is it ready to go? Is it something I can use? That I think is one of the things that make this resource really different is that it's something that's very usable and it sort of bridges theory and practice in a way that I think it makes some, it makes it something people can pick up and use right away. So first of all, um, in, in this idea, uh, as far as this idea about making things clear, we define in this toolkit, a concrete set of instructional practices that we believe are essential to personalized competency-based learning. There are lots of different models out there for personalized learning and competency-based learning, um, but we, based on our experience and the research that we've engaged and kind of just our knowledge of evidence-based practices, we really believe it's important to say these are the things that, regardless of your model, have to be present if we really truly are going to personalize learning for young people and ensure that it's helping learners develop competencies that will be with them for their whole lives. We at Redesign feel like if we're going to design resources for adults, for practitioners, we got to put a stake in the ground and be clear about what this actually looks like. And so we're, we're transparent about what our assumptions are in the toolkit, but that's, I think, important, just naming the thing. So, um, for example, the importance of, in a personalized competency-based model, using explicit instruction, explicit skill and strategy instruction as part of your inputs for supporting learning. For us, that's a non-negotiable. Feedback, that's another quality feedback. That's another non-negotiable. So we've defined what those inputs are. I think the clarity and sort of concreteness of those instructional practices is part of what makes this toolkit unique. The second thing I think that makes this toolkit really unique is that we don't just name those inputs um, for studying CBL, but we want we want to make sure that we have we have a shared understanding of what quality looks like. What does quality feedback look like? How can we define that in a research informed way? And so um, that's the second thing that I think that's really useful. We have a, a distilled set of indicators that help everybody get clear on what it means to have quality feedback. So you can use those if you're the one providing feedback, or if you're coaching somebody who's providing feedback, or if you're at the school administrative or district level, trying to bring clarity for a community of people around what quality feedback uh, looks like. So we have these indicators in the toolkit, we call them um, interventions. So if you're implementing this practice, what does a quality intervention look like? We define those in really um, clear, observable language. Um, another thing I think that's really useful and distinctive about this is like, what are the outcomes we 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 expect to see if these interventions are implemented. So things like seeing growth in students' competency, how do you measure that? We've got the tools built into this. Another category is thinking about the learner experience. If we if we implement these practices, what will shift about the learner experience? We've defined those. We've given a few key categories for those. And then also, again, the specific uh, indicators for what that what that would look like. So if you want to know how does supporting learners in inquiry impact their sense of agency in the classroom? Like we've got a way that you can study that in the classroom. Or if I do more explicit instruction, how does that support growth on these literacy skills or self-regulated learning skills? Um, so we've got sort of the tools to support that. The last thing I'll say that I think is really exciting about this, all in the spirit of making it accessible and actionable, ready to go, is that we've even gone so far as to develop a set of questions um, that you can use if you're doing the data collection. So you don't have to create your own surveys 
or um, focus group prompts or what or whatever it is that you're going to use to do data collection, we've created a set of, of questions that you can start to use that are connected to these different outcomes. So you can, you know, choose, pull questions yourselves for your own data collection tools, um, use what's there, modify them, but it gives you a great place to start, sort of a roadmap and the tools to support you. The last thing I'll say is we give you the roadmap. Um, there's a lot there. You can choose where you want to focus. You don't have to do all the things. If you want to focus on quality feedback or supporting the skills involved in student-led inquiry, you can go right there and dig into the, the quality indicators and possible outcomes. So it allows for flexibility for those that are using the toolkit as well to figure out where you want to start. And you can just jump in from there. It sounds like there are so many good features there that can be really beneficial, especially since a lot of people are on different points in their journey. So that's awesome. Now, I want to kind of highlight a specific portion of the toolkit, which is a section that's called Key Shifts in Thinking in a PCBL System. Can you talk us through what those shifts might be for educators in this work? Absolutely. I'll start by saying at Redesign, we are big believers in uh, the idea that before you try to change something, you really understand it. You take the time to sort of pause and think about, you know, how is this put together? What are the sort of underlying assumptions or beliefs? Um, and uh, what makes this work well or not and so forth. And so for us, one of the things we like to do with folks we partner up with is really step back and look at the education system through that lens. Like it's been working a certain way for a long time. Why is that? And what are the the ideas and beliefs and assumptions that have kind of hold this current system together? In order for us to understand something, it really starts with awareness. And so this particular section, key shifts in thinking uh, in a in a PCBL system, is we, it's organized as a simple from to. Um, so it defines sort of what the current dominant sort of paradigm or thinking is that in our in our perspective that we see in the education system, and uh, and then what we think the the shift in mindset really needs to be in order for us to be able to implement a personalized competency based um, learning system. And honestly, the the froms, like the description of what what we think we're moving from is really, you know, at some point in time, that was our best thinking about education. For example, from readiness for learning is determined by age. At one point in time, it made sense <laughs> to most of us that we would group kids by their age and we would advance them in our education system based on based on time, that we would use the calendar year to move them from one grade to the next. And now we know that learning is not a function of time, that there are a lot of things that impact learning. Um, and that actually an effective education system that's really focused on learning and growth and outcomes in that kind of system, learners would advance based on their readiness, right? They wouldn't be pushed forward uh, to learn something new or different that they weren't ready for. Um, their learning would be supported and they would advance when they were ready. Um, or for example, uh, there, our best thinking a long time ago was that actually you can map out a, uh, a linear progression and that kids will just move like evenly through that progression of learning. And we now know that learning is absolutely nonlinear and it happens in fits and starts and progress is uneven. And so it doesn't really make sense to 
kind of penalize kids for where they are at one moment in time, knowing that, um, a, you know, a big leap in growth might be right around the corner. <clears throat> um, another from uh, old idea about learning is that intelligence is fixed. We used to tie these things to race and gender, and that was the dominant idea. Um, and now we know that intelligence is not fixed and that, um, that uh, we can learn and grow our entire lives. Um, and, uh, and having that mindset um, is essential to an equitable learning system and one that can really personalize. If you're convinced that a learner is not able to grasp this concept or be successful or be able to achieve at high, high levels or be successful in a quote unquote gifted and talented course or honors course, if you are holding on to those old ideas about learning, it is there's no way we can have an equitable learning system. And there's no way that we'll be able to optimize the power and potential of all of our learners and the ways that they can then contribute to the world beyond school. So we've 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 we put we included this in the toolkit because again it felt like we would be remiss if we didn't um if we didn't get real clear and transparent and honest about the beliefs that we feel underlie the old system and the beliefs and um, and research base that is really, I think, essential to have an awareness around and an understanding of um, to really make sense of the shifts in, in how we approach learning design in a personalized competency-based learning system. Love that. And I definitely think that it's a good section for anyone who's digging into this measuring PCBL toolkit to start at before jumping into uh, the rest of the resources. Now, earlier in our conversation, you talked about the structuring of this toolkit in sort of an input-output fashion. Can you give us the thought behind structuring it in that way with the instructional practices being the inputs and growth beliefs and experiences as the outputs? Absolutely. So the first thought was, let's just put together a simple logic frame. Like, how do we define what we are saying the thing is? Like, what are the signature practices of a personalized competency-based learning model? What does it look like when they are done well? And what do we expect will result from those inputs? And so that was sort of a desire to have simplicity for different users and just real clarity about how we can study uh, a competency-based personalized learning model. And so that was sort of the beginning of like, let's build a logic frame here. You can do personalized and competency-based learning in different ways. There's no one right way or one specific model we should all be adopting. But there, we do believe there are some essential practices that you can't, you can't implement personalized competency-based learning without. And we've grouped these inputs or these instructional practices under four key categories. The first is crafting and framing learning goals. There are ways that that's done in the world. And then there are ways that that's done if you're implementing personalized and competency-based learning. For example, in South Carolina, and this is something we reference in the toolkit, if you're going to frame a learning goal, it can't just be about remembering a piece of content that's specific to your discipline, right? A learning goal needs to include a specific skill that we would say is transferable. It's going to be with learners for the rest of their lives, and they're going to be able to use it in lots of different contexts um, as they're exploring content. Um, and also, we believe that strategy development is a really important part of goal setting as well. So we kind of name what the distinctive features are of framing learning goals 
when you're inside of a personalized competency-based context. So that's the first grouping, crafting and framing learning goals. Um, A second category of these instructional practices are around cultivating a culture of care and learning. What does that look like? What are the things that we do specifically as educators um, or coaches or educational leaders to cultivate that essential cultural environment for learning? Um, the, se- the third group of uh, instructional practices or inputs are around teaching and reteaching explicitly. Um, and we we literally break down like these specific research-based ways that you can reteach something. It's not just getting louder. It's not just saying it again. Right. There are specific ways that we can modify our approach to help learners access whatever it is that they're learning. Um, and we have that gives us more tools in our toolbox to like be responsive to learner needs. Okay, I tried, um, I introduced it to the whole group. I'm noticing this group of learners is struggling. I'm going to try a more explicit modeling activity with them. Okay, that worked, but they're still not there. Now I'm going to modify the activity in this particular way based on the data I'm observing. Okay, now I'm noticing they're struggling with this. I'm going to provide feedback and a little like really concrete ways to reteach that are research informed. The fourth category of inputs for instructional practices is facilitating meaningful practice. So things like providing opportunities for learners to engage in discourse around their learning or to collaborate together with others in their learning, um, opportunities for students to um, engage in inquiry as a as the as the method for their for their learning and practice. Um, feedback and conferencing is one of those. And then supporting the skill development around self-regulated learning, the process of learning in community and, and the way that that supports practice. So there are four categories. Those are the inputs. And again, we just believe those are signature instructional practices. The last part of the structure for this toolkit, as you shared, are the outputs or the outcomes. What do we expect will flow from these inputs? We believe fundamentally you're going to see three things shift. You're going to see shift in learner growth. And these are the traditional outcomes that everybody's looking for, right? And kind of standardized tests. And like, we believe we're going to see measurable, observable growth in the the skills or competencies that matter the most. Number two, we think you're going to see shifts in the learner's experience or their experience of the learning environment and the learning process. So for example, if we do this well, We believe fundamentally that learners are going to build their sense of agency and experience more agency in their learning. We believe fundamentally engagement levels are going to significantly increase if you implement a high quality personalized competency-based learning model. We believe learners are going to feel a much stronger sense of belonging in their community. And the other shift in learner experience that we believe you're going to see is learners are going to experience and perceive that they have more support in the learning environment. Let's connect that to a practice. If you know you're trying something out for the first time or maybe the 15th time, and you're gonna have a structured opportunity for feedback and an opportunity to confer with the teacher and a peer to support your learning, and you know, wow, that's happening repeatedly. I keep getting opportunities for feedback. That is going to shift in your mind as as a learner, your experience of I'm in a learning environment where I feel supported. I'm going to get the feedback I need to improve and to grow. And we've seen from the research, learners are more likely to take risks in their learning and to 
pursue a challenge if they perceive that they're experiencing support in their learning environment. So we all do this, like our brains are just sort of automatically, we appraise a situation, we appraise a task and we say, do I have what I need to do this? Do I on my own have what I need to do this? And if I don't think I can quite do it on my own, do I do I perceive that I have the supports around me? Otherwise, I'm more likely to disengage in the challenge. And so um, that's an example of something we believe will shift around the learner experience. The final category of outcomes are learner beliefs. What are the, the fundamental beliefs that learners hold about learning and about themselves as learners? And we've identified two. One learner belief that we believe will shift, will increase significantly through a personalized competency-based learning model implemented well is efficacy or self-efficacy, which we define in the toolkit drawn from the research in in this way. I believe in my ability to learn, improve, and achieve my goals. And um, the other learner belief that we believe is a measurable outcome from a quality PCBL system is a... um, a mastery orientation, and this connects to the growth mindset um, research. Here's how we define that. I value the learning itself, not just the achievement, and am willing to take risks to gain new learning. I value growth over grades. We believe a quality PCBL system implemented well will result in shifts in students' learner beliefs about the learning itself the perception of its value, the importance of that learning experience itself, and also their beliefs about what they themselves are capable of, because a quality PCBL system is designed to meet learners where they are, give them the opportunity and the supports to experience measurable and visible growth, and then to keep growing, to keep growing and to see themselves uh, growing and experiencing success along the way around these competencies that matter, that will support them currently in in school but also in life um and that's a you know another kind of um i think exciting thing about this toolkit and the way that it's a companion to the profile of the south carolina graduate competency framework um which flows from the profile it's not just about competencies that we've sort of we think about uh in sort of traditional academic terms we have competencies like navigating conflict and sustaining wellness and leading teams and building networks, things that are going to be valuable to learners their whole lives beyond just their academic, the academic domain um, of their lives. Now, you've already kind of jumped into my next question, which was for you to give us some examples of how a teacher, a school leader, or a district office person might use this toolkit. So you kind of started touching on that, but could you give us some more examples around like how this might be used? So yeah, I'll start with a classroom teacher. Whether you're in a school or system that is promoting or working to implement personalized competency-based learning, or you're just interested in number one, evidence-based practices um, and and learning yourself. Like I think if if as educators, if we're committed to our own learning, then the, the process of action research of saying, I'm going to try this thing out. I'm going to set a goal or pose an inquiry for myself, something I want to learn or try or improve. Um, and then I'm going to implement the intervention, whatever that changes and gather data, not just to grade kids, right? But gather data on learning 
that's not just for the sake of learner's improvement, but your own in your practice. If you're if you're committed to your own learning as a as a practitioner, this toolkit is a great resource for you to do that. You will if you you know if you pick this up, you can start with and I, I think this input output or input outcome. Uh, kind of logic frame or or um, model is a helpful way to think about it. Um, if you're starting with, I really want to improve my practice, right? You can pick it up, go to one of those inputs, the instructional practices in the toolkit, read about it. There are there are links to modules where you can go through self-paced learning if you want to, to d- deepen your knowledge and expertise around the practice. Um, and then you can explore well, what what would it look like? What would some res- what would some changes be that I could observe if I implemented this? What impact would it have on learning? You can you can start in that way. Um, or if you're like I'm really struggling with engagement, I'm finding that there are learners who are really struggling to feel connected to the learning or connected to me. Or you can start there and look at the tools for for um, studying growth and engagement in your classroom and work backwards and say. What are some practices? What is one practice? I might either introduce something that's new to me or something I might work to improve uh, in my practice so that I can work on improving engagement. Um, So that's sort of a a nice, simple way to think about a starting point or an entry point for you as an educator. Um, But essentially, yeah, you're going to have the tools to kind of build your own roadmap, your own plan for action research. What do I want to try? Um, what is the result that I'd like to um, kind of work toward? And then what are the tools that can support me? If you are a school leader, again, you might you might be looking at student learning outcomes or you're doing walkthroughs and you're noticing some trends in, in teacher practices and you're thinking, we're trying to implement this personalized learning thing and we're kind of all over the map. I want to set a priority that we can all focus on as a, as a faculty um, because I want there to be consistently... <laughs> a consistent experience for learners where they've got, you know, high quality instruction or everybody's getting quality feedback, right? Something you really want to focus on. Um, You can use this toolkit for your whole team and you can set a goal around a practice or even around an outcome. Um, Or maybe you're already working on an intervention and you want to study its, its effect related to one of these categories of outcomes, learner growth, learner beliefs, learner experiences, you can even pick up these tools and use them use them for that as well. So as a school leader, this is a great way to, to sort of um, help establish priorities that are clear and focused for your team. Whether you're, do, whether you're explicitly trying to implement personalized competency-based learning or not, I mean, you could even focus on a single practice here that you know is tied to that, even if you're not on a whole school, you know, school-wide multi-year strategy for for shifting your model. You could start small here um, as a school leader wanting to make change to support better learning for young people and to build, you know, uh, to improve instructional practice. We've seen this used around the SLO's um, expectation, like how do we work with teachers to, to support defining specific student learning objectives and to measure growth? That's right here. That's the outcome around learner growth. And we have a whole process embedded in the toolkit that helps you, like, what are the steps to doing that? So that, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about SLOs, you have a, a concrete guide that you can use with your teaching team. And then finally with, you know, the district, it's so, you know, it's interesting at the district level, um, you know, you're you're often thinking about, you know, what to hold tight and what to make loose at the district level. And where do you, you know, prescribe or dictate something for the whole district? And where do you allow things to be more flexible and choice-based for your schools? 
Where do you offer guides and where do you offer models? Where do you offer tools and resources that that folks can pick up? And where do you say, you know, we want to, we want to set a specific strategic direction and tie it to some concrete either inputs or outputs. And, you know, some policy uh, says we got to get to this outcome, right? Like uh, no child left behind. We have to achieve these certain learning outcomes. And that's helpful to set goals (laughs) based on outcomes. But how do you get there is the big question, right? What are the changes that you make to the inputs of your learning model that will help you get to those outcomes. So if you're in a district and you're thinking, we wanna see learner growth or we wanna improve, we wanna see growth in learner engagement, it's not enough just to survey what our engagement levels are. That gives us data about our kind of our baseline or our status, but what do we do to improve engagement? What are the inputs that can help us get to those target outcomes that we've set as a district? So I think this tool can be really powerful um, for administrators and, and district leaders who are trying to get to a particular outcome and want to guide uh, school leaders in identifying high leverage or high impact inputs that can get them to that output. These are all evidence-based and research-informed practices that we've identified. Um, it can help us sort of leapfrog to that, what should we prioritize here to get to this outcome? So as a district, you might say, hey, you know, we want to provide this toolkit um, as a resource for improving practice, or we want to use this toolkit as a way to help people identify instructionally what are specific practices that we want folks to prioritize, or we want to encourage folks to prioritize, or we want to set our district you know, strategy around adult development around because we know they work and we know they're going to have an impact on learning on student experience, and even on learner beliefs about, about their learning and, the, and themselves as learners. Um, so I think there are a lot of ways, whatever wherever you are on the system, and we speak to a little bit, we speak to this a little bit in the toolkit, ways that you might pick this up. We have scenarios in the toolkit as well. If you're a high school counselor or a middle school English teacher or a school principal, um, where might you start? What might it look like to pick up this, uh, this toolkit and use it? Well, we really appreciate you for sharing all of these tidbits around this tool. And hopefully those who are listening will be inclined to dig in and check it out. We are recording this at the top of the new year. And so to kind of end things off, Sydney, is there any advice that you would give educators entering into this year, wherever they are in their journey towards making learning more personal, and more learner-centered for the students that they serve. What advice, tips, or words of wisdom do you have for our educators? I love that so much. (laughs) Thank you, Carrie, (laughs) for the question. I am going to bring it back, actually, to this toolkit. I'm going to say, pick up the toolkit, check out page 12, where you can see the whole toolkit map, the inputs and the potential outcomes. And I would say, take a moment for yourself to look at those instructional practices Take a moment to look at those potential outcomes and ask yourself, what lights me up? What lights me up? If I could create a greater sense of belonging for my kids or a stronger sense of self-efficacy or um, or sense of agency in my learners, like, does that excite you? Does that, does that get you energized and thinking about how could I do that? Take a look, ask yourself, what lights me up? And think about Think about yourself as 
um, someone leading inquiry into your own practice, getting really curious about why you do the things you do the way that you do them, and consider picking one of those outcomes maybe as, as an entry point, a place where you could get started and take a look, take a look at the specific tools that support growth in that particular area and think about um, you know, working backwards from there, maybe what is it, what is one change, one thing you'd be willing to try on that's new this year for the sake of creating those better outcomes for learners and hold on to that curiosity and that sense of your own efficacy as a practitioner. Those are words well said. Thank you so much, Sydney. I really appreciate this time with you. And I know that our listeners have too. So before we end, you might be wondering, where can I locate this measuring PCBL toolkit? You can find it on our website, which is personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. And if you click on the PSCG competencies tab, you will find that resource right there. We'll also link it in the description of this episode for you to explore at your leisure. If you have any questions or need coaching support with this tool, please feel free to reach out to any of the coaches that are in your region from our office. And you can find that information on our website as well. All right. Well, we'll be right back to close things out. Thanks so much, Carrie. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!